is I'm going to just share a little bit about the, the, the person who has penned the words that we're going to read. So I'll give a little bit of an introduction, then we'll read some verses from the Bible, and then I'll make some sort of comments out of that. But as we just uh, uh, really sort of uh, move into uh, this next season of the life of the church, uh, you know, we're, we're conscious that the seasons are, tra- are changing. And for me, last night of the proms always signifies that autumn's now come. And so um, we're, in, we're into sort of early autumn, uh, nights pulling in, all of those sorts of things. And uh, just as we're conscious of seasons naturally, so also spiritually. And uh, this time, uh, we, and we thank God for, for, for a great summer of being intentional about ministry, uh, of people coming through, of visitors even coming. Um, but this is a time for us to really be... Uh, on alert and ready for God to really do some great things in this season. So we're going to be talking about on purpose. And um, this morning, uh, and we're going to run with this. If that slide could go up for us, it'll just help us. And then we're going to be talking over the next three or four weeks on on purpose. And this morning, I just want to open that up for us a little bit. And uh, just to sort of take us into what God's saying. Um. There was a man in the New Testament of the Bible who found real purpose for his life. <clears throat> and we'll look at that in a moment or two. And we'll look how, out of his testimony, out of his change, he was able to share purpose with other people. And as we just uh, solidify that in our heart this morning, we'll then be looking over the next two or three weeks at being on purpose about giving, about loving, and about serving Three of the great building blocks of the living life purposefully. What does the word mean? Well, the word means intention, determination, resolution, reason. And so we could go on. Um, One of the best-selling books, certainly of the last generation, uh, within the Christian world and beyond, was in the New York book bestseller list for many, many months, was Rick Warren's book pastor of a church in California in Orange County called Saddleback, which was entitled The Purpose Driven Life. And really, what he was encouraging people to do was to live their life on purpose. Some of you may have seen the interview that Rick Warren gave with Nicky Gumbel at uh, Holy Trinity's Leaders Conference a couple of years ago. It was fascinating. Because the reality is that we do sadly at times live with a tall poppy syndrome, even in Christian circles. And when somebody does, go, does well, you know, there's something within us, which is carnal, that sometimes wants to say, well, they're probably superficial, there's got to be something wrong. We find it difficult, to, we find it easier to weep with those that weep rather than rejoice with those that rejoice. So Rick Warren, sort of, there were many people that said, well, it's all right for him. You know, he's, he's, he's sold a book. He's, he, he could have done, if he'd have taken the royalties to himself, made many millions of dollars out of the book. Such was its popularity. But you need to know that he didn't take one cent, never mind a dollar, from that book. But he poured all of that resource out of the blessing of God into bringing transformation through their church into Rwanda. And some of you may know that uh, certainly a number of years ago, that Afri- Central African nation was ripped apart by into tribal warfare, and we've got people that are sowing the kingdom. And uh, uh, on that interview, uh, somebody, Rick Warren reminded people that somebody had said to him, 
Well, I wish I could have written that book because I'd have done the same. And Rick Warren sort of said, I don't think you would, and that's why I wrote it. Um, you see, because God knows the intents of our hearts. I was just talking to Christian last night. And uh, he knows somebody very close to public, publications. And said, so for some people, the driver in their publication, ruthlessly, is finance, not Rick Warren. And thank God for that. So millions of pounds have gone into touching people's lives. But the purpose-driven life. And he believes, and if I can say it, friends, with uh, sincerity, we also believe in Arena Church that we find real purpose in life and real purpose in serving and loving and giving through a personal relationship with a living, loving God in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to reference that a couple of times during the message and simply to say that if you have never begun a living, loving relationship with God in Christ Jesus, you've heard this morning already through an encouraging word that you can come as you are to that, then at the end of the message, Christian will give an invitation for you to respond to that message. It would be crass this morning for me to say that people, no person outside of Jesus lives with purpose. Because the reality is that many do. But here's the truth. When you simply build your life around yourself, you do miss the real point of living. I was talking to Sharon when we were away and saying, imagine we spent these 60 years on earth just thinking about ourselves. What we're going to do. What holidays we're going to go on. What car I'm going to drive. What house I'm going to live in. Just me, 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 me. I tell you, that's not the way to live. It's not the way to live. So we recognize that some people have a real purpose in life. But I say it very respectfully this morning. Outside of a relationship with Jesus, it misses. And it's misguided. And then, of course, we've got many people that live with no purpose at all. And so they go to drifting aimlessly through life. With no navigation points. And those of you that have been into sailing or uh, understand uh, boats on the oceans, planes in the air, will know that without a navigation point, ultimately the boat will hit the rocks. It will go, it will stray away from where it's intended to go. And again, statistically across our nation and beyond, we recognize and we say it compassionately that there are many people that are hitting the rocks in their journey of life because they've come to a place of no purpose. So, a moment, in a moment or two, we're going to read some verses, but the verses come from a man in the Bible, a giant figure across the New Testament of the Bible called Paul the Apostle. His original name was Saul from Tarsus. And early on in his life, as the new church of Jesus in the Acts of the Apostles began to emerge and grow. This man thought that his purpose for being on the earth was to stamp out the fires of the Christian church. He persecuted it. He was hateful and vengeful. It's almost certain that people die for the faith because of this man's actions. But if you read Acts of the Apostles in chapter 9, the fifth book of the New Testament, you'll read an amazing turnaround story. And the story is about 
Paul going to Damascus, still the capital of Syria, that very, very true old nation that we hear a lot about in the news. He was going north, north from Jerusalem to Damascus. He was going with one purpose. It was to take on the Christian church that was emerging in that city, and he was going to stamp it out. He was going to bring, a, he was going to bring his, his band of followers, and they were going to stop it almost before it had started. People had heard about him, heard that he was coming, heard about his reason. You can imagine the Christian church, perhaps praying, coming together, wondering what was going to happen. But before he got to Damascus, the risen Lord Jesus met with him. And the Bible says that he, was, he fell to the ground as Jesus cried from the heavens, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And right there, there was a, a, a meeting with Jesus that changed his life forever. Now, as you carry on reading Acts chapter 9, you'll find that God used an ordinary disciple in the Damascus church called Ananias. And God spoke to him and said, I want you to go to Straight Street, where, Dem- where Paul's laid up in bed. And I want you to go and pray for him, and bless him, and, and, and speak purpose over his life. And of course, as we all say, Ananias says, no worries, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll jump to that straight away. Well, no, the Bible's full of human stories. And Ananias says, there's no way, because we've heard all about this man. I'm not going to see him. The very thought of it frightened him to death. So he had a bit of dialogue with God, and guess who won? And eventually it says that he went. And God, that's how God works, friends. Sometimes he'll speak with a blinding light, and then he'll get hold of somebody to knit the whole thing together and make his purpose work. Ananias went, prayed for Saul, and he said these words. He said that this man... Sorry, has God encouraged Ananias to go? He says, go and pray for him because this man is a chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. In other words, I have destined him for purpose. Ananias went, prayed for him. He was baptized. His sight returned and, there was a, 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 and he was filled with the Spirit. Not bad for an ordinary disciple in the church. But he went obediently to the Lord. And Saul was set up for the purpose of God. Those of you that know the New Testament well will know that Saul was Jewish by birth and tradition. But God says, you are going to be a mouthpiece to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles. You're going to take the gospel into places where it hasn't yet penetrated. And you're going to be used of me. Amazing. And out of a process, please bear in mind, those of you that perhaps have got a passion in your heart to want to press ahead, out of a process, and Bible commentators reckon it was about 13 years from his conversion in Damascus, on the Damascus Road, to his release of public ministry in Antioch. What was happening in that time? He was being discipled, he was submitting to authority, he was part of a community of believers, he was allowing the word of God to shape his character to prepare him for what God had led for him. I'm not saying it's got to be 13 years, but what I am saying is, if you do not commit to a process, you will never fulfill your purpose. Never. And if I can say it respectfully, friends, I have people that come to me that want to to take the world on. I have people saying, 
that they are going to serve Arena Church for the rest of their life. And a month later we find they've gone and they've not even told us. And, uh, and it doesn't work like that. He committed himself to a process. And he became a gifted Ephesians 4 called apostle of Jesus Christ. A sent one. A planter and an establisher of churches. Grounding them in the faith. And seeing the good news of Jesus penetrate the world in the first century. And later on he says, I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I used to blaspheme the name of Jesus. And God's grace took hold of me. And I want to say, whatever you've done in your life, you can find forgiveness and a fresh sense of purpose under Jesus. Because this man did. And I'm thankful, friends, that God's always breaking into people's lives. I was just listening to a story just this week. I don't have any uh, freedom to say anything publicly about the story. Simply to say this, that a very broken situation of a person that we know, God is breaking into in an amazing way and bringing a turnaround. A turnaround. And God can do it for you. And so, I want us just to read a few verses And they're found in the New Testament, in the book of Philippians. Chris is going to put them on the screen in a moment. And what happened is that Paul went to the capital city of Macedonia, which which called Philippi. Me named after that, or it named after me. But, But he got a supernatural call, come over and help us. And he changed his plans. And, uh, you know, it's not wrong for us to plan, but when the Spirit of God breaks in and changes the plans, we better listen. Come over and help us. And he found a group of ladies led by a a lady called Lydia that were meeting in the city. Faith began to arise, and a church grew in that city. You'll know that they were put in prison, and all sorts of things take place. But some years later, there's an established church, and so we get the letter, four chapters A little bit later on in the New Testament called Philippians. It's a letter from their father in the faith to the church to encourage them to keep going on with the faith. One of the great themes of Philippians is joy. Not not determined simply by how today or tomorrow goes, but a deep sense of God's gladness birthed in our hearts and the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so Paul writes to this church, And you'll know on a Sunday morning that sometimes I just sort of pull back from any lengthy reading. But this morning I just want to read about seven or eight verses to you. And you may want to follow it in your Bible or or, 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 however you do that. Or you may just want to watch the screen. But I'm going to read some verses from 7 to 14 and then verses 20 to 21 and make some brief comments afterwards. So here's Paul speaking back to the church. I think you'll find that purpose is all over him. But whatever things were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. Not sure why the NIV's put that American word in. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the only way we get it. I want to know Christ. 
Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, both to the Philippian church and to Arena Church this morning, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of all of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Then verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. The old King James Version says, our vile bodies. Our lowly bodies that will be like him. That is the hope of the church. Now, thank you, Chris. The book ends to that reading or chapter 3 verse 1 where Paul writes to the church and says, I'm writing to you so that you may continue to rejoice in the Lord. And then chapter 4 verse 1, which probably ought to be in chapter 3, you know the chapter divisions weren't inspired. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, after saying all of that, he says, I love and long for you, my joy and crown, that you stand firm in the Lord. So be full of joy and stand firm in the Lord and you best do that when you live life on purpose. Now briefly, four things from that reading this morning that reflect the deliberate, on-purpose living of a man that was completely changed by the power of Jesus Christ. Number one, holy abandonment. He says... Those things that were gained to me or profit, I now consider loss, rubbish, garbage for the sake of Jesus Christ. What were those things? Well, verses 5 and 6, which we didn't have time to read, give us the answer. They tell us that his religious pedigree was impeccable. Oh boy, if this was a good guy, a good Jewish living man, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. As for zeal, religious zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law. He was absolutely all out for religion. And religion is a system of belief. I know this sounds cliche, friends, but I'm going to say it again. Arena Church is not into religion. It is into relationship. It's not into a system, it responds to a saviour. It's not trying to be a Christian, it is a Christian in him that then causes us to live out our life for the Lord. It's not trying to attain, attain to an unattainable goal, it's realising that God comes to our base level and then lifts us high. It's completely different. People say there are religions in the world, they cause so much trouble. Yeah, they do. Systems... Man-made rules, uh, 
misguided zealotry, it all causes issues. I want to say all over the world today, millions of people, friends, have found relationship. And relationship brings purpose. He said, I count all that stuff rubbish because I found him. Question this morning, who's in the driving seat of your life? We heard from Christine last week that, uh, as she shared in Breaking the Bread, that her lovely grandma had been a staunch chapel gatherer, churchgoer for many years. But with respect, it had been religion. And in her later life, she found relationship. What's in the driving seat of your life? What's driving you? What's the passion in you? What's the thing that potentially is taking you to the rocks? And I want you to come to a place this morning when you realize that when you're in Jesus, all that other stuff really, really doesn't matter. And maybe to get there this morning, there needs to be a turning to God. It's called repentance. There needs to be a pushing away of the old. There needs to be a confessing of your wrongs. Very impacted in recent days for various reasons, and maybe we'll roll it out in other times. About John, James 5.16, confessing your sins, your faults, one to another. Not talking about going to a priest on the earth. But we're talking, friends, about confessing to him that somehow there's a cementing of that release when we find a context where we can actually confess in a context. Not to everybody, but to somebody. And here's what one preacher says. Confession opens the heart to the flood of God's love. Forgiveness, acceptance and healing. Don't be stuck in the quicksand of denial. Let it go. We won't go there, okay. Frozen. No, the word of God. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. A holy abandonment. And then a holy ambition. In verse 10 he says, I want to know Christ. What does ambition mean? Well, ambition means an earnest desire or objective. And there are many people in the world that are ambitious. Ambitious to be the fastest. Ambitious to jump the longest. Ambitious to be the cleverest. Ambitious to be the richest. And so it goes on. Often pushing themselves beyond what seem hitherto unattainable landmarks because they are ambitious but Paul realized that to leave out Jesus Christ was crazy and when Jesus touched his life he says the ambition the earnest desire and objective of my life is to know Jesus radical surgery had taken place in his heart that had changed him forever one of our pastors emailed me over the summer just to bring me up to date with his heart surgery. He had to have a quadruple bypass, uh, which is pretty serious. My own dad, my own late dad, had a similar operation in his early 70s. And he was, he was, he was uh, those of you that are sort of a medical background will know sort of high intensity wards and being sort of wired up to so many uh, monitors, etc. It's a it's a very, very complex operation. But the reality is, when somebody needs a quadruple bypass, it's no good the doctor saying, tell you what, mate, there you go, just look after yourself. There's something critical that needs to happen. 
Otherwise, with respect, the person is going to die. And here, heart surgery had taken place that changed Paul forever, impacted him deeply and intimately. And he says, I want to be on best friend terms with Jesus. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to say this morning that if you don't know him as your savior, Jesus, yes you are, salvation. You need to be reminded, as I've already done this morning, that he wants to rescue you from your past and give you a new start. There needs to be a turnaround starting point in your life. Jesus as savior. You need to know him, friends, as Jesus the satisfier. The Bible says that the pleasure of sin only lasts for a season. But in the context of the verses that we've read this morning, Philippians 4.13 says that in a place of contentment, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. You need to know Jesus as a sustainer. I've had people say to me, it's no good me being a Christian. I'll never keep it up. Of course you won't. But Christ is in you. The hope of glory. And he will give you the power to live for him. Not only just to live for him, but to get stronger in him. And we need to know Jesus, friends, is our sovereign. One of my colleagues said at our conference earlier in the year that many Christians camp at the first revelation of salvation. Thank God for that. But not only Savior, but Lord. Allowing Jesus to be the rule over your life. I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. Why do we do church, friends? Because we want to know him better. We want other people to know him. We want to create opportunities for people to come to know the Lord. Why do we do prayer meetings? Why do we put Bible training on? Why do we give opportunity for people to come to various things? Because we want them to know him. Holy ambition. Thirdly, a holy advancement. Living on purpose inevitably takes us forward. And the Apostle Paul very honestly said these words. The great Apostle, he says, I'm not saying I've already obtained all this or even arrived at my goal. But I'm pressing forward to take hold of all that God took hold of me. Isn't that amazing? Living on purpose takes us forward. It opens up a a race to run and a course to complete. I was talking to our Alison on Friday, and in two weeks' time, she's running the Robin Hood Half Marathon. It's 13.1 miles, which is about 21 kilometers. And it's a long way, you know, to run. She says, how's it going? She says, well, I'm up to, uh, I'm up to about 15K in training. So well, that's good. I says, you probably need to get there, and then on the day, just hang on, you know, and sort of uh, get to the end. But she's not just turned up in two weeks' time and says, you know what? I'm going to run 13 miles today. Bring it on. You know. Because I tell you about a mile and you should be walking. She's trained. She's prepared. She's disciplined. She's kitted up. She's running the streets. And I think she's going to do it. And uh, she's running the race. She's completing the course. She's not going to bail out after seven miles saying, oh, I've had enough. We're halfway around. That's it. There's a course to complete. And this man that wrote these verses right towards the end of his life, wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, and says, I've run the race. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. What an amazing story. What an amazing story. Here he says, I'm not already all the way around, but I'm committed 
to advancing in God. In this season, friends, let's not just stay where we are. Let's keep going forward. Here's how the message Bible puts it. I'm not saying I've all these things together, that I've made it, but I'm well on my way, reaching out to Jesus, who reached out to me. He went on to say, I've got my eye on the goal. Where God is beckoning me onward to Jesus, I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. One of the great songs that we've sang in this church in recent times is, I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. No turning back. Keep going forward. Because people that live their life on purpose advance. Finally, holy anticipation. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Ah, yeah, I thought it. Those Christians, head in the clouds, so heavenly minded, no earthly use. There we go, All, always thinking about beam me up, get me out of here. You know, actually, it's completely different, friends. In fact, the Bi- that, that cliche, heavenly minded, no earthly, is not in the Bible. The Bible says, set your affections on things above. And here's the truth. As somebody said, Christians who have made the most impact in this world are the ones that have thought about the next one most. All the great social reforms that have taken place in our history through time in terms of education and health and helping young people have almost always been birthed in a passion To follow Jesus Christ. And people have had their gaze upon heaven, but they wanted to make a change on the earth. Yes, people pitching up during the summer to lay some new slabs, to put up a great fence, to paint some great pictures. So kids could go back to school last week and go, wow, somebody was bothered enough to do that. Why, friends? Well, we do it best when we understand That there's something still in front of us that beckons us to live now on purpose. And I encourage us, friends, in these days to do exactly that. We are not talking in Arena Church of being so taken up with the other world that we don't want to impact this one. And we need to keep moving forward in God. But the truth is this, that life does not just consist of this world. We need to be prepared and ready to meet our God. You see, those that have already gone on in the faith haven't left home, they've gone home. The Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know whether you've been to funerals, it's been my privilege to lead many over the ministry journey. The difference between somebody that has died in the faith and lived with purpose And someone who I'm trying to pastor through a context, and they say, I'd like you to do the funeral of my brother, he didn't have a faith, is huge. And of course, we try and navigate both in appropriate ways. But to be in a funeral of somebody that's not left home but gone home is amazing. Well, they've lived their life on purpose, and we celebrate that for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. You see, a non-purpose driven people, people that have missed out on the relationship with God are only bothered about this 
earth. Your bank balance is not going to matter. The size of your car is not going to matter. Another room on your house is not going to matter. Where you stand before God is all that matters. And our citizenship is in heaven. As I close, when I went to Egypt early this year as part of an Assemblies of God delegation, when we arrived at Cairo Airport, the first thing we had to do was go to Customs Man. And I think it was 25 US dollars handed over, handed the passport. And in Egypt, it sort of got like this, it fills up the whole of the page, and sort of licks his lip, takes your money, sort of peels it. There you go. You can stay in Egypt for that particular time. The visa's been stamped. You're okay. And I ask you, the friends, this morning, whether your visa's stamped for heaven. I ask you seriously this morning, do you know where you're going? Do you know that you're going to be with the Lord forever? Our citizenship is in heaven. God has placed eternity in our hearts. And we best set ourselves up for that by living for him. It was said of another man in the Bible that he served God's purpose in his generation. We were at a church, what a blessing for a few of us, Marina, to be a church on the other side of the pond in the early summer. And it was a church that lives and does things on purpose. And that church is determined by people knowing God, finding freedom, discovering purpose, and making a difference. And God wants exactly the same, friends, arena church that's not new to us but we need to move towards it with renewed intent both together as a community and shaped by definition in our individuality people coming to know god being free all that other stuff rubbish discovering their purpose and place in the body of christ and then making a difference in this needy world it doesn't come by self-effort self-help i'll take you down to waterstones tomorrow friends You can have a choice of 200 books. That's not going to do it. Ten steps to your financial freedom. Nine steps to get your mind sorted out. 42 steps to breaking through in business. It's not by self-effort, application. It's by revelation. It's by hearing the word of God this morning. Let it change you forever. Nothing changes our lives more than the word of God. Because every one of us is special to him. It's not by the latest fad. It's by receiving the enduring world, word. And when we do that, it takes us to a place of abandonment of the things that held us back, of ambition to know him, of advancement to move towards all that he's got for us, and of anticipation that one day we're going to be with him forever. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, to those that have come to the place of living their life on purpose.